Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy holy name. Father, we thank you so much for the holy Sabbath day that we can come together and uh, be a part of the household of God, to, to be with holy angels and all faithful creation and worshiping you and uh, singing praises to your name. And we thank you so much, Lord, for the Sabbath day that we have that opportunity. We, we humbly come before you too. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us. We ask that we may gain a taste of heaven today that will last us through the week. And people will see the joy of beaming from us as light shone from Moses coming down from the mount. Uh, we pray that the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and, and instills within us a new heart, a flesh, a heart that's filled with your love, uh, a love that we can share with all those around us. Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful blessings that you've given to us, especially Jesus. We thank you for Jesus who gave up heaven, become like one of us, uh, showed us how to live a righteous life and uh, a prayerful one in spirit, uh, a life of righteousness uh, that we too can share um, with the Holy Spirit alive in our hearts. We thank you so much that Jesus died um, for our sins. And it is our sins that nailed him to the cross. It's not the sin of the Jews or anyone else. We each have chosen to sin, and it is our sin that has nailed Jesus there, cost him his life. But he died so that we may live. He gave up heaven so we may have heaven, and we praise you for that. And Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name because of what he has done. We lift up before you those on our prayer lists, um, those who are seeking uh, the truth, those who have things in their life that, that they need help with, Lord. Our friends on Pow Talk, such as Echo uh, 16, we, we know that you know who that person is. They have a silent prayer request. Uh, Lord, we pray for Deb's cousin Gary. It's a difficult situation with someone who has uh, memory issues. And to be the only caregiver can be very trying and uh, can wear, just wear out anyone. And so we pray that you will lift up Gary and, and uh, bring some help to him in some way. Uh, that he can have a break. Uh, Lord, we pray for our church families. We pray for our families as well. And, and we pray, Lord, that as we commit ourselves to you afresh here. So we ask forgiveness for our sins in the name of Jesus that you forgive us. And that we commit ourselves to doing your work and your will. That you will abide with us for all eternity as you've promised. Keep us in your hand, Lord. I also pray that you be with me as I speak today. May they be your words, not my own. May they touch hearts. May we come to a right understanding of what you have to say as to who and what the church is. We thank you so much, Lord, for hearing this prayer as we ask it in the blessed name of Jesus who is so worthy, so worthy to be praised and honored. Amen. My hands were full. So nobody heard it? <laughs> they may have heard it through the pulpit mic. I apologize for that. I didn't get the prayer mic turned on. Like I said, we're just having all kinds of audio-video <laughs> issues today. What I want to uh, bring to your attention is that this is such an important issue. This is such an important topic to understand. And as we go through defining and coming to uh, the, the principles and the definitions that the Scripture lays out uh, for uh, God's church and defining God's church, as I bring certain messages to you like this one today, which I've entitled, A Line is Drawn. And as we go through this, uh, this study and, and the, the coming studies, and even as you look back at the studies that we've had, you'll see... Uh, uh, different principles involved that describe God's church. And I put them into roughly about ten categories I shared with you last time, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But um, be aware that this is the theme of uh, this study. Is we want to know who and what the church is so that we can choose to be in the right one, that we can choose to be with Jesus. Some of you know I am 
very interested in history. I was putting this uh, study together, the thoughts in my mind, and as I, as I entitled this, A Line is Drawn, um, I've thought of several instances in, in history where that was the case. You know, in the waning days of the Battle of the Alamo in Texas, and some of you may be familiar with that, uh, there was a battle, you know, with the Mexican general Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. He had the Alamo completely surrounded. He sent a messenger uh, from his forces to the Alamo to Colonel William Travis. He was the commander of the uh, Alamo Defense Forces there. And he was demanding surrender or else everyone in that compound would be killed. And uh, that was the message. Now, according to legend, and you can read up on some of this, there are some historical accounts take issue with certain things of it. But, but according to legend, Travis called the, all of the Alamo defenders together. He explained to them that uh, defeat was almost certain. And he read the letter uh, of surrender that he had received from Santa Ana to them. And then Colonel Travis, uh, having chosen to die instead of surrender, that was his choice, uh, reportedly, he pulled his battle sword out and he used it to draw a line in the ground there at the Alamo. And he asked for volunteers to cross over that line and join him, understanding, friends, uh, that their decision would be irreversible. And the legend states that all but one of the defenders, including uh, the famous Jim Bowie, and uh, Colonel Jim Bowie, and uh, Davy Crockett, many of you have heard of Davy Crockett, they joined Travis on his side of the line. Uh, and like I said, legend says there was one defender who didn't, and uh, he left. But Travis then responded uh, to Santa Ana's letter uh, by firing a cannon shot <laughs> towards uh, uh, his army. And then Santa Ana replied by playing uh, uh, a bugle call entitled El Dueo, which means uh, to give no quarter. That means that uh, everyone, there was going to be no mercy shown. But you see, a line was drawn. A line was drawn there in the Alamo, and a decision had to be made as to which side you were going to be on. Now, in defining God's church, we find, friends, that the Scriptures draw a line. They draw a line, and a decision must be made by each one of us as to which church we will choose to belong to. And there are only two choices. That's why there's only one line drawn, friends. In order to make a reasoned decision, we must first know of the characteristics of the Church of Christ and the Church of Antichrist. And the best way to detect uh, the Church of Antichrist is to learn about the true church. You see, as I said earlier this morning as we were in our Sabbath school study, the best way to discern a counterfeit is to know the true. Many people, Adventists included, they, they get so sucked into studying about the Antichrist church and about the counterfeit that they misunderstand what the true is. And that's not the way God would have it. They're being set up for a deception, friends, and many of them are already deceived. You see, when we learn the description of God's church, we will then be able to detect the Antichrist church in all its forms, in all its organizations, because we understand the true. We understand the principles. We understand the characteristics. We understand the Bible. See. Now, so far in our studies, I've given ten aspects of the Church of God, as I mentioned just a moment ago. Um, there are more aspects that you will find uh, in the Scriptures. Uh, these are the most prominent characteristics, and most of the other ones will fall within one of these, uh, actually. And, uh, and, and all of these, in essence, will fall into the first one <laughs> as far as that goes too um, but uh, I'll review them real quick here for you um, first uh, the, the true church the divining God's church his church will have the nature of Christ as remember we found that 
where Christ is, even among the humble few, there is His church. It's wherever Christ is that, that is holy, and that is His church, see. And the, by having the nature of Christ, that means it's, it's a mixture of the human and divine, just as Jesus is. Humanity and divinity. Now, you know, it'll be a, a combination of being born again is what I'm saying. You will have God living within your heart. That's what it means to have the nature of Christ, see. Character traits of Jesus. Uh, the second thing, it'll bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit because you have Christ living within. The Holy Spirit has been sent to testify of Christ and uh, to bring you to repentance, to help you to come to know Jesus, convict you of sin, convict you of righteousness, lead you to righteousness. You will bear fruit, holy fruit, righteous fruit. His church will do that as well. A third thing, it will be a light on a hill. It will be a light that leads the way to the head. And the head, we are told, is Jesus Christ Himself. The fourth thing, it will stand upon the foundation of truth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. If it's teaching any error, intentionally so. Now, it doesn't mean that it can't come to repentance itself, a body of believers. But if they intentionally imbibe error, they're not the church of God. They stand upon the foundation of truth. Fifth thing, it will be vibrant and living in Christ. Jesus said He's come to give life and to give it more abundantly. If He's alive in His people, His church will be alive and, and, and vibrant. Six, a spiritual house. His church will be a spiritual house, again, as Christ is ahead. It is not going to be a structure made by the hands of man where man is the head. An example would be the Roman Catholic Church. It claims the man to be the head, and it's a... You know, don't get me wrong, there are church buildings that are built by man. I'm talking about the organization of God's church. It's a spiritual house with Christ as the head. Seventh, it is of the spiritual seed of Abraham, not of Ishmael. It is of the spiritual seed of Abraham. We talked about that in our chapter of Acts of the Apostles today in Sabbath school, what Paul was laying out. There's a remnant, see, of the spiritual seed of Abraham. And those who are in Christ are of the seed of Abraham. They are heirs according to the promise given to Abraham, whether they're Greek or Jew, whatever, if you are in Christ. See? That goes back to number one. They have the nature of Christ. See? And this also means that they are covenant-keeping, and the Sabbath is a sign. They keep the covenants of, that they made with God, that they will obey, and they obey because they have God living within. They have Jesus within, the Holy Spirit living within. Uh, the eighth thing, they'll keep the law of God. And the ninth thing, they'll have the faith of Jesus. That's righteousness by faith, which leads to number eight, which is to keep the law of God. See how they build one upon the other. They're all tied together. And the tenth thing, all this will pull together and they will have godly love and a unity. Jesus said they will know that you are my disciples because you have love one to another as, and you love one another as I have loved you. They will have that agape, that charity, that godly love, which brings them into unity. Now, friends, this is the body of Christ. This is the church. This is the church that follows the Lamb wherever He goes. <laughs> now, as we go further in our studies concerning the true church of God, and we're going to come, we are definitely going to come upon some very startling facts that will be hard medicine for many people. Because as human beings, you know, we tend to get set in our ways, don't we? We don't like to change. We don't like to be told that we're wrong, that we have a misunderstanding. Yeah, my wife says, uh-uh. Yeah, exactly. And there'll be hard medicine. But sometimes, friends, we have to take our medicine because God's giving it to us. <laughs> See? To those that He loves, He chastens and rebukes. Isn't that what the Word says to us? You know, many of us have been taught things about the true church of God that are not accurate according to the Scriptures. But nevertheless, they are considered to be the truth because of repetition, because of tradition. You see, friends, if you repeat a lie long enough, many will believe it to be the truth. And then, over the years, that lie actually becomes a tradition of man. So I hope and pray that each of us uh, we'll have a teachable spirit uh, which will pr prepares us to receive the truth. I mean, are we not interested in the truth? Are, are you interested in knowing the truth? Well, friends, I am. I hope that you are too. 
In fact, this is one of the characteristics of the true church. It stands upon the foundation of the truth. And I'll tell you, if you're not interested in living the truth, you're not in the true church. It's not a matter of just knowing the truth. Has it become a part of your life? We read in the Gospels, we know that Jesus had a teachable spirit while here on earth. He was raised from infancy to adulthood, having to learn things just as we have to learn things. People have a hard time with that. There are religions that teach that he was somehow different than us. He was raised with the Holy Spirit guiding and directed him. Do we have a teachable spirit? You know, the Lord says in Isaiah 1, verse 18, He says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken Obedience, friends. And the Lord says, come, let us reason together. God says we're to reason together with Him about the truth. The truth concerning His character. The truth concerning our character. Where we are in relation to Christ. Beloved, just in case you haven't realized this yet, each of us has some error of belief that we hold to and it is the duty of the Holy Spirit to teach us and and lead us into the truth. So each of us must really consider whether we are willing to be shown the truth about our errors. You know, there are a very large number, in fact, the vast majority of people that are in error as to who and what the church really is. So, like I said, some of what we discover in our studies is going to be tough medicine to take. But if we wish to be spiritually healed, we must take the tough medicine. By the way, right here in Isaiah, you can see that a line is drawn by God between those who are obedient to Him and those who rebel against Him. And in our studies up to this point, we have discovered that there are only two armies that are fighting in this great controversy between Christ and Satan. There are two spirits, the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of Antichrist. And God has drawn a line between the two sides and we want to be on the Lord's side. Amen? In Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. <laughs> he hasn't changed. He's righteous and loving and He is the head of His church. And we want to be on His side, do we not? Now let me ask you something to consider as we, we get going here. And I'm going to move, and I ask you to, to please bear with me. I'm going to move pretty quick. I want to share a lot with you today. Some of it may even be reviewed from many of you, and I, I hope and pray to God that that's the case. But uh, I, want to, I want to pose this to you. I want you to think about this. If there was a person that Jesus would not allow to be a part of the church while he was here, he would not allow that same person who has those same spiritual characteristics to be a part of the church today. Would you agree with that? Remember, Hebrews said Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Would you agree with that? If Jesus wouldn't allow a, a, a person, particular person uh, to be a part of the church while He was here, He wouldn't allow that same person who has those same spiritual characteristics to be a part of His church today. Now millions, I will tell you, now I've got amens here, but people saying, yes, I agree with that. Millions disagree. <laughs> the majority of Adventists believe there is a grand exception that applies to them. And virtually every church on this planet believes in some kind of grand exception to that statement. Let's see what the Word of God says. Amen. Take your Bible. Let's open it to the third chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And here in the third chapter, we have the record of the baptism of Jesus. And I want you to notice what it says. 
my dear friend Gene and I were on the phone last night. We talked a bit about the baptism of Jesus and about the disciples and such. I want you to notice what it says in Luke chapter 3 and verse 22. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, as speaking of Jesus, of course. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. And here we see that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have the statement from His Father in heaven that with Jesus He was well pleased. You say that the Holy Spirit and His Father in heaven have both placed their seal upon what He said, upon what He did, and the choices He made in His life. So if Jesus will not allow me, friends, to be a member of the church... I'm stuck. Isn't that right? I'm stuck. There's no exception. If Jesus doesn't allow me to be a member of the church, there is no grand exception. Now, a very short time after his baptism, Jesus went into the desert to be tempted, it says, for 40 days. And then what did Jesus do? Let's turn to the next chapter. Luke 4. Let's go to Luke 4 and let's take a look at what Jesus did after his temptations in the desert. The Spirit had led him into the wilderness, fasted 40 days, was tempted of the devil. And then, then what does he do? And after he's nourished for a time, look at Luke 4, verse 14. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth. Now, what was special about Nazareth? Isn't that where Jesus was you know, raised? He worked in the carpenter shop there with Joseph. It says he... He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up for to read. Now, like I said, we're going to spend some time here in Luke 4. For keep, you know, so keep your finger there. We'll be coming back to it time to time. Uh, but Nazareth was, the, Nazareth was the place where Jesus had been going to church for over 25 years. You know, I've run into Adventists say, you know, it's hard to see what's going on and, and, and it's, it's hard. I, I, I was raised in this church. Well, the Jews were raised with an understanding for hundreds of years, but it was a wrong understanding. See, that's the trouble with traditions when it goes... Traditions are fine if they're in accordance with the will of God. But when they go contrary to the will of God, you need to dispel those traditions, <laughs> friends. He'd been going to that church for over 25 years. And any person who was an Israelite could go to, to the church and be given the book for the Scripture reading. Okay, And Jesus was selected on this day to give the Scripture reading in church. Now remember, we just read that, that He taught in the synagogues and He was glorified of all. They, here He comes, they know Jesus. Look at verse 17. It says, And there was delivered unto Him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when He had opened the book, He found the place where it was written... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. We're going to cover some of this. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, what had happened... Remember, what had happened at Jesus' baptism just about six, week before, six weeks before this time? Remember, the, God, the, the Spirit of God descended upon him, right? He was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Now, friends, we get the word Messiah from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means the anointed one. When did Jesus become the anointed one? When did he become the Messiah? In other words, 
When did his ministry of the Messiah begin? Specifically. You know, the Greek word that is the equivalent of Messiah is the word Christos. And that's where we get the English word Christ. And the word Christ means Messiah or anointed one. And how was Jesus anointed? He was anointed with the Holy Spirit, wasn't he? At his baptism. And it was that spirit, remember, that had led him out into wilderness. Now here in Luke 4, that we're reading about, this is after his baptism. He's been anointed with the Holy Spirit, and he finds this scripture in the book of Isaiah, and it is a prophecy of the work of the Messiah. Okay? And by the way, those people who were in the synagogue at that time, they, they understood that this was a prophecy about the Messiah. They understood that. And they understood and believed at that particular moment that Jesus was the Messiah. Put that in your mind here. Get the surroundings right. This is what Jesus has done. And Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Well, the gospel is to go to all classes of people, isn't it? And in our world, very often, the poor get left out you know, on the good things. Isn't that right? And so it's specified particularly that the Messiah was to preach the gospel to the poor. And this scripture was fulfilled. Although there were a few rich people like Zacchaeus and later on, you know, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who accepted the gospel. But the majority of those who accepted the preaching of Jesus were those who were poor. But it's not just a literal application, friends. And then Jesus said, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, who are these brokenhearted that the Messiah was to heal? You know, when Mary and Martha uh, were brokenhearted because their brother Lazarus had died, their broken hearts were healed when Jesus came and their brother was raised back to life. So Jesus ministered to people who were brokenhearted because of the terrible tragedies that that they had suffered in their lives. But this, again, I'm telling you, friends, this is talking specifically about a people who were brokenhearted for a different reason. Because they realized that they were great sinners. Now, there are many people today, even Adventists, who do not realize that they are great sinners. They think that other people are but that they are not because after all, I mean, they are members of the true church. They are among the remnant of God. They are already saved. Or are they? But did you know that the, the, the only way you or I can be saved is the same way that the chief of sinners is saved? That is the only way I can be saved. There are people whose hearts have never been broken. They will have a hard time being saved, friends. They don't realize that they're a sinner. (laughs) And Jesus said in Luke 5.31, He said, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Most people do not go to see a physician when they're well or when they're feeling good. (laughs) They go when they're hurt or when they're sick. If my heart has never been broken because I don't realize my sinful condition, I am not going to seek healing. You don't seek healing for a disease you do not believe you have. One of the biggest problems with the person who has a drinking problem is that they don't acknowledge that they have a problem with alcohol. Have you ever tried to help someone get over a problem and they say, I don't have a problem? How are you going to help them? It's very frustrating, isn't it? You cannot help someone get over a problem that they don't realize they have. And you don't try to get over a problem you don't think that you have. In order to be healed of a broken heart, friends, you must first realize that your heart is broken and then the great physician can heal you. And when we begin by the Holy Spirit to to see the spiritual character of Jesus, we realize that we are spiritually empty we realize that our heart is broken and that we have to have a new heart. 
Our heart of stone has to be taken out and we have to have a new heart. But you don't realize your need of a new heart until the old heart is broken. And as long as your old heart seems to be working all right, you're just going to go right on with a stony heart. Jesus said in Luke 5, verse 31, He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's why very few of the Jews could be saved because they thought they were righteous already. You remember the Pharisee and the publican? They went to the temple. The Pharisee was praying and he said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men are. Did he confess his sins? He didn't think he had any sins to confess. He was self-righteous. Beloved, I'm going to ask you, has your heart ever been broken? Oh, you say, yes, my heart was broken when my wife or my husband died or, or I got a divorce or a child died or some other terrible thing happened. My heart was broken. And if your, your heart was broken over some awful experience like that, then you can begin to understand what a broken heart is all about. But has your heart ever been broken because of your sinful condition? And this is the hardest thing for the, really the, our young people to see. Friends, we've got to pray for our young people. We must pray for our children because they have the hardest time seeing their true, their true condition and their true need of a Savior. Their need for a new heart. And time is running out on all of us, but especially our young people, especially our children. I'd ask you, friends, to pray for them like you've never prayed before. I'll tell you, you don't seek healing for a problem you don't know you have. And until your heart is broken, you'll not seek for a new heart. The Bible promises a new heart to those who are spiritually brokenhearted. That's the fantastic thing about God. He's given us these promises. In Ezekiel 36 and verse 26, He says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Why does the Lord say that we have a heart of stone? (laughs) A person who who has a stony heart is a person who's hard-hearted. That hard heart has to come out. You need to have a heart of flesh if you are to live for eternity, friends. But that's not all Jesus came to do, is it? He not only came to take away my stony heart and give me a heart of flesh, but He said He came to to preach deliverance to the captives. Luke 4, verse 18. What kind of captives was He talking about? Was it a jail ministry? (laughs) What was it? Jesus said in John 8, And verse 34, beginning there, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And then he said, I came, what was it he said? I came to preach deliverance to the captives. If you be free, if I say you're free, then you shall be free indeed. Free of sin. Free of being the servant to to sin and the devil. Jesus has the keys to our chains, friends, and He will set us free. Now everybody in the synagogue, there as Jesus was speaking these words, they were eager with anticipation as He was reading. They loved what they were hearing. Their hearts were moved. Let's go back again to Luke 4. Jesus says, I've come to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Now Jesus did literally give physical sight to the blind, didn't He? But He was not talking here so much about physical sight. He was talking about spiritual sight. We must have spiritual eyesight to see our own spiritual condition and whether we are Sinners are not, great sinners are not, to have a broken heart, to be healed by Christ, or whether we're in the church or not. We have to have spiritual insight. You know, Jesus said something interesting after He healed the blind man there in John chapter 9. 
He said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which, which see might be made blind. Isn't that kind of an interesting thing for him to say? You know, after Jesus came, there were some people who did not see, but they learned to see. There were other people who did see, but they became blind as a result of Jesus coming. But what Jesus wanted to do was to bring recovery of sight to the blind. To give spiritual vision to those who would accept it. And friends, all those present in the church as Jesus was reading, as He was reading this, they loved everything that they heard. And then Jesus said, to set at liberty them that are bruised. What does it mean to be bruised? It it actually means to be oppressed. Weren't the Jews oppressed? Weren't they under Roman rule? Oh, they loved these words of Jesus, see? They were oppressed. simply means that for one reason or another, you've been put into a very difficult situation. And of course, the greatest oppression is the oppression of sin. Sinful habits and guilt can oppress a person until it actually makes a person go crazy. Do you know that? That's where we're all headed. You have Christians today who think that that the world is getting better. It's going to get better. They've fallen for this, this evolution, theistic belief. Evolution believes everything evolves into something better. Well, when sin entered our world, it gets worse and worse and worse, friends. Jesus came to take our guilt away. And whatever you've done that is wrong, even if you are the guiltiest one, Jesus wants to take that guilt away. All those oppressive things that are a result of sin, He wants to take away. And last of all, Jesus read, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. I'll tell you right now, the acceptable the acceptable year of the Lord is right now. Because we're living right now in the days of grace. And that is the acceptable year of the Lord. When the acceptable year of the Lord is over, when the day of grace is over, then we'll begin the day of wrath. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, he says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, while we still have an opportunity, friends. Now is the accepted time. If there's anybody that has not followed the Lord, they've turned their back on Him. They've been an enemy of His. And they have made all kinds of mistakes in their life, committed all kinds of sin. Right now, because of the plan of salvation, they can choose to turn around. Right now is the acceptable year of the Lord. You can choose to turn around and follow Jesus. And your sins can be forgiven. And your guilt can be taken away. And all the stupid things that you may have done, all that can be forgiven and taken away, and you can be given a chance to start again with a new heart. And you can learn the righteous ways of the Lord. You don't get cleaned up before you take a bath. You just come to Jesus. (laughs) He cleans you up. He washes your sins away. Jesus is reading all this and He stands up in the temple. They loved everything He had said. They were excited. They knew that He claimed to be the Messiah. They had heard about what had happened since He had left Nazareth several weeks before. Go back to Luke 4. Look at verse 20. And He closed the book and He gave it again to the minister and He sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on Him. And then He said, said something that changed all that. He said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In your ears. This scripture is fulfilled by you. And when he said that, in saying that, a line was drawn by Christ. You see, all of a sudden, his reading pointed out their shortcomings. Not everyone else's like they had thought. 
prior to this, he'd said, He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, sent me to those who are blind and those who are oppressed. And then he said, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they then realized that what he had read was, was all about them. You see, Jesus dispelled the idea of a grand exception. <laughs> he had represented them as being in bondage. They had been addressed as prisoners needing to be set free from the power of evil. They had been represented as being blind in darkness and needing to have recovery of sight. And their pride was offended and their fears were aroused. Greatly so. They saw that His work as the Messiah was going to be completely different than what they had in mind. Their deeds might be investigated closely. And then they started to ask questions. They said in their minds, Who is this Jesus? They knew who He was. He had attended church there for over 25 years. They knew that He claimed for Himself the glory of the Messiah but he was still the son of a carpenter and he had worked at his trade there with his father, Joseph. They'd seen him toiling, toiling up and down the hills and they were familiar with him. They were acquainted with his family. They knew about his life and his labors. They had seen him develop from a child into a young man and from a youth to an adult man. And although his life had been spotless, they were now not willing to believe that he was the promised one. And as they opened the door of their hearts to doubt, their hearts became harder for having been momentarily softened. The line is drawn and the truth is revealed as to their condition and they choose not to join the church of God. Let me share this with you from the Desire of Ages, page 238. Satan was determined that blind eyes should not that day be opened, nor souls bound in slavery be set at liberty. With intense energy he worked to fasten them in unbelief. They made no account of the sign already given when they had been stirred by the conviction that it was their Redeemer who had addressed them. This story also shows, friend, how dangerous doubt is, doesn't it? The devil was working on their hearts, driving doubt deeper and deeper into their hearts. I'll tell you, as soon as you open your mind to doubt, you've opened your mind to be worked on by the devil himself. And the devil started working intensely. She says that he was using intense energy to fasten them in unbelief. So they would not believe that this person was the Messiah. Jesus had read to them out of Isaiah. And to this point, they were all in agreement as to the Messiah's mission. But then they were shown that they were the ones that needed a Messiah. That they were the ones being addressed and their entire attitude changed. Beloved, would you say that these church members had teachable spirits? Or were they convinced that they were saved and in the church of God already in no need of help? Think about that. Jesus then gave them... Another evidence of who he was by reading their thoughts and then telling them what they were thinking. Look at Luke 4, verse 23. Jesus said, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of... Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent, that's Elijah, uh, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian. You see, friends, God is unable to do anything for those who are hard-hearted and unbelieving, who do not feel their need. That's why Jesus said over and over, your faith has healed you. Now what was their response to His words? These two examples He gave. 
Was it repentance and a thankful heart that they'd been shown their error and need of a new heart? What was their response to the, to the truth about their spiritual condi- condition? Look at verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with love. They were filled with wrath. And rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill where on their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. Jesus had told them two stories. And when He got done telling those two stories, they were so angry that they were ready to kill Him. See, Jesus indicated to them that the servants whom God had chosen for a special work were not allowed to labor for a hard-hearted and unbelieving people, the professed church. But those who had hearts to feel and faith to believe were especially favored with evidences of His power through the prophets, that faithful remnant. Do you remember the widow in Sidon? As a result of having Elijah at her house when her son died, what happened? The Lord raised that son back to life, didn't He? She was greatly blessed for her hospitality to the prophet. A similar thing happened to Elisha. And Jesus said there were many lepers in Israel, but none of them were cleansed, none of them were healed, except a heathen man, Naaman. Again, from Desire of Ages, this time page 239. Our standing before God depends not upon the amount of light we have received, but upon the use we make of what we have. Thus, even the heathen who choose the right as far as they can distinguish it are in a more favorable condition than are those who have had great light and profess to serve God, but who disregard the light and by their daily life contradict their profession. You see, friends, a line is drawn by God between those who profess to be members of His body yet have a character opposed to that of Christ and those who are the actual members of His body who are having the character of Christ reproduced in their life. A line is drawn. Something from a Signs of the Times article entitled, A Test of Faith, June 30th, 1881. God is honored, not so much by the great number, as by the character of those who serve Him. He appreciates moral worth. And notice this. He draws the dividing line between those who bear His name by profession and those whose character shows them to be His children. Those who have the fear of God will listen to His counsels and obey them. They will not be content with spurious theories, nor build upon false principles to secure the friendship of the world. And here's where the line is. On one side are those who make a profession, but their character is not in harmony with their profession, their profession to be a child of God. That is where God draws the dividing line. That's where the dividing line is that shows whether you are really part of the church or not. Are you just making a profession? Are you a professed Christian? Are you a professed Seventh-day Adventist? Or does your character show that what you profess isn't a part of your life? Which side of that dividing line are you on? Do you, does your character show that you live your profession as an Adventist, as a Christian? Paul says in Romans 9, verse 6, he says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Amen and amen. And so Jesus spoke to these people very plainly. As it says in Desire of Ages, page 239, He pressed upon them the bitter truth that they had departed from God and had forfeited their claim to be His people. How dare this Jesus say that we're unsaved. We're the descendants of Abraham. We're we're the remnant church. 
How dare you call yourself a member of the remnant? They had departed from God. They were not even part of the church of God, though they professed to be Israel, the seed of Abraham. That's why they got so angry. That's why they tried to kill Jesus. And by the way, let me share some experience with you, my friends. When you teach people this today, they get mad too. They don't want to hear the truth about their spiritual condition. They don't want to hear that that their profession doesn't ring true. They don't want to hear the truth about who the church really is and that they're not really a member of it. They get very angry with those who read the truth to them. And let me tell you, this shows what spirit really controls their hearts, doesn't it? The reaction to the truth show, it shows who's on the throne of their heart. Because I'll tell you, Jesus is the truth and He doesn't war against Himself. And neither will His church war against itself. Think about that. Live and proclaim the commandments of God, especially the fourth, and how to keep it holy, and the faith of Jesus by overcoming sin, and see what reaction your church has towards you, especially by living the truth. You see what the reaction is. And let me tell you, if there's a reaction like that of Nazareth against Christ, you can be sure that you're not in the true church, friends. And when Jesus told the same to them, they became so angry that they wanted to kill Him because He had showed them where the dividing line was. He had showed them that they were on the wrong side of the line and that they were not part of the people of God, that they were not part of His church. You see, there's a difference between the professed church in the true church, if I want to call it that way. Is your profession backed up by your character? Or is it just a profession only? Remember we read before, previous studies of Isaiah 4 and verse 1, remember that? And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel, only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. Remember that? There were many who... There are many who want to live according to the flesh by eating their own bread, you know, their own man-made doctrines, and wearing their own apparel, you know, their self-righteousness, and yet still claim to be the church of God. They profess to have the name of Jesus and be His body, but their character is not like that of their profession. They have not His nature living in them, you see. And this was the condition of the church at Nazareth. And as they listened to the words of Jesus, self became agitated. Self was offended. Back to Desire of Ages, page 239. Every word cut like a knife as their real condition was set before them. They now scorned the faith with which Jesus had at first inspired them. They would not admit that he who had sprung from poverty and lowliness was other than a common man. They committed the sin of unbelief. They had the evidence, but they chose not to believe. And when they chose not to believe, their unbelief developed very rapidly. Friends, in a period of minutes, it developed into malice, and they tried to kill Jesus. In essence, he had told them that they were not part of the church. They did not like the truth, and they wanted to silence it to take away their reproach. There are several times recorded in the Gospels where Jesus told the Jews that they were not part of His sheep. They were not part of His flock. They were not part of His church and it made them mad. So mad they wanted to silence Him by killing Him. And the reason they wanted to kill Him was that deep down, friends, really deep down, they knew He spoke the truth. But they rejected it. They wanted no part of it. He would not allow them to be a part of His church because of their unbelief. Their character was not in harmony with their profession. Their nature was foreign to His. Beloved, how is it with you and me today? When you hear the Gospel preached, the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and reveals to you some deficiency in your character that requires repentance, how do you react? What do you do? You know, when we talk about what the Bible says and how 
lay out how it defines who God's church is, you know, and I, I lay this out. Sometimes I get accused of criticizing the church all the time. And when I first started being accused of that, I thought, what are they talking about? What are they talking about? But I figured it out. When you preach the Word of God, if it cuts directly across what people are living and want to live and believe, you know what happens? They realize that either they have to change or else they have to figure out that the preacher was wrong. One or the other. See, when Jesus was here, they figured out that if they accepted His teachings, their practices must be changed. Their cherished hopes must be relinquished. They must go contrary to the teachings of of their great leaders and thinkers. And that wasn't popular. You know, truth is not popular in the fallen world. It never has been. Desire of Ages, page 242. Truth was unpopular in Christ's day. It is unpopular in our day. It has been unpopular ever since Satan first gave man a disrelish for it by presenting fables that lead to self-exaltation. Do we not today meet theories and doctrines that have no foundation in the Word of God? Man clings as tenaciously to them as did the Jews to their traditions. Isn't that the truth? So they rejected Christ. He told them plainly that they were not part of the church. He would not allow them to be a part of the church unless they changed. Oh, they they went to church every week. But Jesus told them that they had forfeited their place as God's people. And He denied that they had any part in Israel. And friends, the same thing that happened in Nazareth in that day has continued to happen over and over and over again down through the generations of time to our day. Let me ask you, can you reject Christ and still be a member of His body? Millions will say no, but their actions say yes. (laughs) And when their actions are exposed by the truth, they rear up against it. Notice this from Sketches from the Life of Paul, page 233. There is the same dislike of reproof and correction among the professed people of God today as in the days of our Savior. There is the same disposition to lean toward the world and to follow its mocking shadows. The presence of ambitious, selfish, time-serving members is imperiling the church whose greatest danger is from worldly conformity. That would be the tares that were sown in the church, see? Not talking about open sinners. She continues, she says, Such members are constantly exerting an influence to unite the church more closely with the world. They are doing the work of Satan. When God sends His servants with words of warning or counsel, these traitors to their holy trust reject the heaven-sent message and thus not only slight the grace of Christ themselves, but lead others also to smother their convictions and lose the, professed, the proffered blessing. By resistance to the truth, the hearts of such are settling down into the fatal hardness of confirmed impenitence. Wow. And that is what happened in Nazareth. When you get to heaven, I'm going to tell you, friends, you'll find very few people there from that church, from Nazareth. Most of the people that went to church with Jesus Himself for over 25 years will be eternally lost. Jesus would not allow them to be a part of the church. He denied that they were part of the church. Which side of the line are they on? You see, God draws the dividing line between whom? Between those who only profess to be His children and those whose character shows that their profession is real. Again, continuing in sketches from the life of Paul, page 233. By resistance to the truth... The hearts of such are settling down into the fatal hardness of confirmed impenitence, which I left off with before. They are deceiving themselves and deceiving others. They are Christians by profession. They pay outward homage to Christ. They unite in the services of the sanctuary. And yet, the heart, whose loyalty alone Jesus prizes, is estranged from Him. Notice this. They have a name to live, but are dead. They are left to the darkness they have chosen, the blackness of eternal night. They are part of the professed church. (laughs) 
They have the name, but they are dead. They're not really part of the living church where Christ is. You cannot be a part of the living church and yet be spiritually dead, friends. It's impossible to have Christ living within and yet be dead. There are many who profess that Jesus is living within and yet they are really dead to Him. Their profession is an empty one. You see, you can profess the name. You can own the trademark and take faithful Adventists to court for daring express their faith by using that name. You can own the property, the buildings, the schools, the hospitals, and you can do many wonderful acts for others even. You can even bring others into the truth and yet not be a member of God's church. This is what Jesus was saying to those at Nazareth. And this is what Jesus is saying to us right now. Remember what he said in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? Do we not have the name, the buildings, the schools? Do we not have the copyrights to the writings of the prophet? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Beloved, God draws the line. It is a dividing line, and every one of us who professes the name of Christ is on one side of that line or the other. Are you a Christian by profession only, or does your character back up what you profess? Are you obedient to your Savior? Do you have a new heart of flesh and overcoming sin by the power of Christ or are you satisfied by having the name of Christ only? Are you satisfied that your name is on the church books and believe that you're safe from the brightness of His coming? Which side of the line are you on? The good news, friends, and there is good news. The good news is that we are still in the accepted time we are still in the acceptable year of the Lord. You can still cross the line to the right side. If you're willing to change, you can become part of the true church, the living church, even if you have been spiritually dead. Beloved, Jesus wants to set us free from the bondage of sin. He wants to give us eyes that will see spiritually what is going on. He wants to deliver us from the oppression of sin. And if we are willing fall on the rock and be broken hearted he will give us a new heart I don't want to be like those people in Nazareth and lose out being with Jesus you're going to see most of them someday on the outside of the holy city I don't want to be like that I don't want to be on the outside of the holy city do you? I want to be a part of that group of people who not only profess to follow Jesus, but by their actions and character backs up what they profess. This is the side of the line to be on, isn't it? This is the true church of God. Do you want to be in the true church of God? If you want to have a character like that of Jesus and walk on the right side of the line being a member of His body, the church... And friends, I invite you to pray with me now. We'll ask the Lord to give us a new heart and receive us as members now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh Father, you art our Father. We thank you so much for the truth of your holy word. We thank you so much for Jesus. And Father, you know our frame. You know our condition. You know our heart. And as we see the truth, So we realize the truth and that we're not a part of it. Our heart grieves. Our hearts are broken, Lord. We pray for forgiveness. We humbly ask that you will give us this heart of flesh that we may be among your people. 
We wish to be with Jesus. We wish to be where He abides. We wish to see Him face to face someday soon. Father, give us of that Spirit. Change our heart. Fill us with Your love that we may have a love for one another that You have for us. Forgive us our sins. Continue to bless us, Lord, not because we're worthy, but because Jesus is. And we not only profess His name, we wish to live His name. We ask this humbly in His name. Amen.